This is episode 112, and today we're doing a very special DJ that he can make you or break you if he play you. We're doing the legend of John Peels. Yeah, this is something that uh, I've been wanting to do now for at least a year. Uh, DJ John Peel, he's, he shows up in so much of all the history of different bands that we've been covering for two years now, pretty much, with the show. Um he he just was one of these guys that was very influential. Um, he would have you on, do a, what was called a peel session with you. And these things would, uh, you know, if you were an up-and-coming band, it would, it would make you or break you. If you were on the show and he liked you, you were definitely on to, on to big, bigger and better things. Now, um, today we have another guest. Uh, you might remember from last year's Slade episode, our British friend Ron Granger. Say hello, Ron. Hi, Mike. Hi, Rob. How you doing, man? Good, thanks. Glad that you're back. Um, And uh, I think it's great for us because anybody with a British accent makes us sound smart. (laughs) 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 All right. So DJ John Peel, let's get into the history here. He was born August 30th, 1939. Okay. His real name was actually John Robert Parker Ravenscroft. That's a, such uh, a long name. <laughs> he, well, I guess that's why you shortened it to Peel, right? Um, he actually was, uh, I don't know if you knew this, Ron, he was knighted? I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, well, you know what? You got you to gotta tell me what this means, because I think this means he got knighted. He got the, the OBE title, most excellent of British Empire, given to people for their contributions to the arts and sciences. Right. They, he didn't get knighted. Um, oh, what is that? These are medals that uh, the Queen bestows on worthy citizens. Um, you know, the Beatles got an OBE um, back okay. in the mid-60s. Um, there's, uh, there's the OBE, um, the CBE, and I think um, the MBE. I think they're the three um, medals you can So it's get. just a medal. It's not like uh, he's not Sir John. No, he's not. No. Order of the British Empire, okay. it is. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Now, he is considered the longest serving of the original BBC Radio 1 DJs. He served from 1967 to 2004. That's a long time in the business. 37 years of spinning records and, you know, CDs later on and and, uh, just really influencing and turning people on to all kinds of things. Now, Ron, you said you kind of, you know, you grew up on him, basically, right? Um, Yeah. Actually, uh, I think um, Tony Blackburn and Johnny Walker um, are, are, are still uh, BBC DJs, and they started at the same time as John Peel. Yes. Uh, I know Johnny Walker is still going. Uh, he, he did have a, um, a period uh, away from Radio 1, but I think um, uh, Tony Blackburn's been with the uh, BBC Radio since about 67. But, yeah, John Peel had, uh, uh, like... Um, like 37 years of uh, uninterrupted broadcasts. And uh, I heard a lot of his shows um, back in the 70s, particularly um, when punk was breaking. He was the first DJ right. in the UK to break punk. And uh, and I uh, heard a lot of the... The only way you could hear that music was on the John Peel show. Right, because the, the government really didn't want that played, right? Yeah, well... Um, it wasn't so much like that, but the BBC had like um, they were BBC Radio One was strictly kind of a top forty um, mm. uh, station. Uh, they would play you if you made the top forty, um, but uh, you know uh, they wouldn't play you if you were really an up up and coming band and that had a record that you know wasn't breaking the charts. All except John yeah. Peel, and he was the only DJ really that had the freedom. Um, to play anything he wanted 
So yeah, he wasn't bound by any uh, playlist he played. But what I, what I noticed that was interesting in my research is that he he had some controversy over the years, but not like really anything like that was you know threatening to kick him off the air. That's true. Uh, so so I think he 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 had he kind of walked the line between you know doing what he was supposed to do and also doing what he wanted. You know he he, he wanted to play the up and coming bands when punk came. He was right on top of that. And, and he was already known by that point uh, in 75, 76, when all that stuff was breaking. But um, the BBC would say, OK, you don't don't play punk. But he did. And he never got fired for it. So it's it's interesting because, like, you think of people today in the last 20, 30 years, the DJs like Howard Stern and stuff like that. Even 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 Howard Stern's been fired. Yeah. You know. So it's it's interesting how he was able to walk that line. He must have had a lot of respect from a lot of a lot of people, I, I would think. Um, now, not only was he known for the Peel Sessions, okay, which would would go on with these bands, he was known every year for the annual Fest of Fifty, all right, which was the top fifty countdown of the of the favorite records of the year. Was that something that you kind of look forward to every year? Uh- Oh, Ron, when you did you listen to that? Uh, yeah, I used to listen to it. Of course, John Peel's tapes were very kind of esoteric, and uh, you know, all over. Yeah, the place. they were yeah. all over the place. So you know, yes, you, you could you could love you know thirty minutes worth of John Peel music every um, every night when you heard his show, and you could absolutely hate the other ninety minutes because you know it could be so unrelated to other stuff he was playing. Uh, well, it was a free form. Yeah kind of thing um in the in the in the early you know late 60s early 70s in america when fm was starting that's how that really got popular was this free form radio um in england i I don't you didn't really have that okay you had the controlled bbc but then he came along kind of threw a monkey wrench into that right i mean because he really was playing things that definitely was not top 40 definitely was underground and I think he turned people on to so many different kinds of music. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of these popular Radio 1 BBC DJs actually actually came from Pirate Radio. Um, yes, I'm going to get yeah, into that. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, can't, I don't know much about what their playlists were, were, were like. I mean, um, uh, you know, they relied on, on uh, radio commercials uh, for, for revenues. Um, right. But, yeah, the BBC was, you know, didn't have to didn't have uh, commercials um were kind of self-funding um through the government and uh um and and yeah peel just had license to do what he wanted and of course back in the 60s you know he was promoting tyrannosaurus rex you know kind of hippie yeah. bands yeah he was friends yeah, with hippie, hippie yeah. bands and then in the um in the early 2000s you know he was promoting dance music yeah I found that to be interesting. I, I didn't think he would go in that direction, but he did. Were you going to say something, Rob? Yeah, I was going to say that. It's, it, it's fascinating how this guy would just, he pretty much play what he liked. Like, he didn't have a format, mm-hmm. but he played what he liked. And, what he, and, and you know what? People started listening to him. They wanted to hear something new and something different. They would listen to John Peel. Let's see what he's playing. He was that influence. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he was born in a, a town very close to Liverpool called Heswell. Uh, you familiar with that place, Ron, at all? Have you ever been up in um, that area? I mean, Liverpool, um, but yeah. uh, not that town. I think it was like a, a hamlet. Like It was a very small town near there. Uh, he was the eldest of three sons of Robert Leslie Ravenscroft, uh, who he was a successful cotton merchant, okay? And his, mother's, his mother was a housewife uh, just named Joan, okay? And uh, he grew up in the nearby village of Burton, which is actually very close to Liverpool. Uh, he went to a place called the Shrewberry School, where one of his classmates was actually future Monty Python member Michael Palin. Wow. Yeah. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, I did. Um, and Shrewsbury yeah. School, yeah, that's, a, that's a, uh, a private school. And I think he, he was a boarder, yeah. so he, he, uh, he lived at the school. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he came from a somewhat mid- middle, upper middle class 
family. You know, his father was a successful cotton merchant. But at that time, that was even in a, kind of an archaic yeah. business. So I'm not sure how much money he had, but enough to put him in private school, right? Um, now, John was kind of known as a solitary child. He loved his music at a very young age. He loved listening to the radio. Uh, he would cut his teeth listening to American Forces Network and also Radio Luxembourg, which was all very big in the, I guess you could say, the 40s and 50s, right? Um, yeah, and, uh, and 60s and 70s as well. Luxembourg went that yeah. far, right, into the 60s. and Yeah, okay. Uh, now, he began to collect records at a young age, and he had a desire to actually host a radio program. So being a radio disc jockey was something that, he really always wanted to do, right? And his his teachers knew it. Okay, he had a teacher um, named uh, R. H. J. Brook, who once wrote on his school report, "Perhaps it's possible that John can form some kind of nightmarish career out of his enthusiasm for unlistenable records and his delight in writing long and facetious essays." <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the teacher was. I guess that wasn't a career to really get into at that time, right? Yeah. Not, not, not very. It was kind of frowned upon, I would think. Um, now, John always thought that this teacher was actually amazingly perceptive, okay, because he, he kind of knew what he wanted to do. At age 20, uh, John completed his national service. Uh, he was in the Royal Artillery as a B-2 radio operator. I'm sorry, radar operator, excuse me. Uh, he worked in Rochdale at a mill, and would often be known to drive around on his sister's scooter. Okay, that's what he traveled around on. In 1960, at age 21, uh, he traveled to the United States to work for a cotton producer associated with his father. Now, after that job was finished, he took a job as a traveling insurance salesman for a company based in Dallas. That's very interesting here. Um, he actually met JFK and Lyndon Johnson during the 1960 election campaign That's for president. Amazing. Yeah, and he took photos with them. Okay, now following Kennedy's assassination, he was still working and living in that area three years later in 1963. Uh, John passed himself off as a reporter for the Liverpool Echo just so he could attend the arraignment of Lee Harvey Oswald. Imagine that. Okay, he pretended to be a reporter to get in there. So he and a friend can actually be seen in the footage of the November 22nd into 23rd midnight press conference when Oswald was paraded before the media. Okay, so he later did a phone. He phoned in the story to the Liverpool Echo, even though he wasn't a reporter. He called them up and gave them the whole scoop of what was going on. Now, that could only happen in, you know, 1963. Um, shortly after, he got his first radio job at WRR, which was an AM station in Dallas. Uh, he presented the second hour of a show called Cat's Caravan, which was primarily hosted by an American singer and radio personality, Jim Lowe. Now, do you know who Jim Lowe is, you guys? No. Anybody? No. No? Okay. Jim Lowe was the guy who sang Behind the Green Door. Do you recall that song? It was a 1956 number one hit. Do you remember the, remember the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, they played that, right? Okay. There's a scene where, where DiCaprio is singing that with a bunch of girls on stage. Okay. It's, it's, it's that song. So this guy, Jim Lowe, had a, you know, a brief musical career. He had a number one hit, and he ended up hosting this radio show in Dallas called Cat's Caravan. Now, Shortly after this time, Beatlemania hit the United States big time. And John became kind of the official Beatles correspondent at radio station KLIF in Dallas. And he got this position basically because of his connection to Liverpool. And he later also worked for KOMA. That's a great handle, KOMA. <laughs> in Oklahoma City he was working and then in 1965 he would also work for KMEN in San Bernardino California using the name John Ravencroft for a breakfast time show okay uh, at that point he, he didn't have the peel name yet okay 
Now, during 1965, he got married to his first wife. Uh, and this is interesting. She was 15 years old. Her name was Shirley Ann Milburn. Wow. And John, I don't know what happened, but John always claimed that he was never happy with her. Uh, she would return to England with him in 67 when he went back, but they would end up divorcing in 1973. And uh, sadly, she would take her own life a few years later. Oh. Uh in 1974, he would marry his wife, Sheila, who he was with until the end of his life. Um, how he got involved with a 15-year-old American girl. I yeah, I think, no um, um, if, did, he, did he move to England with his first wife? Because he was with, yes. he was dating Sheila from 66, 67, 68. Yeah. I think. There was something wrong with that yeah, marriage, okay? Because it's 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 obvious he married her right after he got divorced. So there, you know, he probably was with Sheila. I, you know, I it, it, it it's not important really, but it's just like something happened there that he he ended up being with Sheila oh, yeah. before he was really divorced, and then he married her after. You know, life just because um, uh, you know you Sheila know. and uh, John were really good friends with. Um, you know, uh, Mark Bolan and uh, his uh, girlfriend and their wife, June, um, from about, uh, you know, 67, 68 onwards. Yeah. Now, did she design clothes? Sh Sheila. I don't know what she Yeah. She, she, I don't know what she did. Yeah. I, I, I seem to remember in the T-Rex show that we did, that there was a connection there with designing some of Boland's clothes. I'm not sure if it was Sheila who did it, but it might've been. Um, in 1967, he found work at the offshore pirate radio station called Radio London. Uh, he relocated back to England then when, when he was offered the midnight to two shift. Okay. And it, be, it was a show called the perfumed garden. And it was at this time he started using the name John Peel. OK, uh, a secretary at Radio London, which was nicknamed the Big L. That was the name of the station. Um, the secretary suggested it. Why don't you use the name Peel? And uh, it was at the Big L that he kind of established himself with this uh, distinctive radio voice. And he would be on his way, you know, playing the records that he wanted to play. Um, his show quickly became an outlet for the UK underground music scene. He played blues. He played folk music. He played psychedelic rock. Uh, it was always an emphasis on new music. And at that time, the new music he was interested in was coming out of San Francisco or Los Angeles. Um, so he was probably the first to play things like the Jefferson Airplane in England. Uh, obviously, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, anything that I, I think another band that he championed early on was the band Love out of L.A. Arthur Lee's band. He played so many bands that you would never hear of, and he loved he loved a lot of the U.S. stuff. Yeah, well, you know, he interesting. Interestingly, you know, because of his time in the states, uh, he actually got immersed into the underground music scene, especially on the West Coast when he was living in San Bernardino. <clears throat> excuse me, San Bernardino. Um, he ended up managing. I'm going to mention this a little while from now, towards the end of the show. There was a band called The Misunderstood, uh, and he got involved with them a couple of years before he, uh, he uh, left to go back to England. He actually managed this band for a little while, and they have a great story. Um, one magazine you've heard me mention many times is Ugly Things, uh, which is uh, put together by a guy named Mike Stacks. Uh, it's a magazine that everybody should, should order, subscribe to, or at least check out. Uh, it's very interesting. And if you wonder where I get a lot of like my 60s, late 60s psychedelic nuggets, stuff, information, it's really out of ugly things and, and, and the, the, the music that they talk about in that publication. But um, there was a, a great like two or three parter of the Ugly Things magazine from like about two years ago where they talked about the misunderstood. And they went into John Peel and what he was trying to do. He to the end of his life, he said the misunderstood were one of like like the best live band that he ever saw. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Now, Peel's show, The Perfume Garden, encouraged audience participation. Now, often in between the songs, he discussed the underground music scene, 
what was happening at various clubs, you know, who was playing where, what time. And, and one thing they always talked about was which of the Rolling Stones was going to get busted for drugs that week. <laughs> so fans would actually send him cards and poems that they wrote of which he would read on the air. Uh, sometimes fans would even send their favorite records to him and he would play them. So the whole show was kind of like a two-way street, you know, a two-way communication between the fans and, and the DJ. Uh, he quickly, because of that, that, that theme, he quickly became the most popular DJ at the station. Now, do you recall this pirate radio no, station? No, I was Ron? way before my time. A little time, before yeah. your time, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it actually got shut down by that. He, you know, it didn't last too long with him. We shut down. But uh, I'm sure they, it was a problem with being a pirate radio station. But uh, I think the, uh, the guys in The Clash were very, uh, were very influenced by what went on at that station. I guess John Peel, um, I would say. Yeah, right? I mean, although, you know, um, they would have been probably too young as well. But, uh, you know, because uh, I think uh, Radio London was going from probably – mid 64 65 maybe until 67 i know that um, um i don't know if the station was uh, closed down then but a lot of the popular djs you know were, were offered jobs with the bbc and uh yeah yeah and that that's that's what happened to john peel uh i think it was around 67 or 68 yeah it's it, actually i have it right here uh it was in 67 that radio london would be shut down and then Peel, at that point, he began a, a column in a paper called the Perfume Garden. Uh, it, was a, it was an underground newspaper called the International Times. Um, from fall of 67 to mid-69, he wrote this column praising underground music, uh, reviewing things, and discussing what was going on. And the fans started a Perfume Garden mailing list, okay, and everybody could communicate with each other, all the fans. So it was kind of like, you know, way before the internet, they were doing a little, a little website yeah. kind of. You know, but that was like, a, it was like a fan club almost. Right, right. It was a fan club. But they, they, the fans actually were able to contact each other, which is kind of cool. Um, when, when Radio London was shut down, a new music station called BBC Radio One, which is, you just mentioned, Ron, was uh, starting. And Peel began working there. He was offered a job there, as well as some of the other guys from Radio London. Now, unlike Radio London, Radio One was not a full-time station. It was kind of like a hybrid of recorded music and live studio orchestras. That's what that station yeah, was Yeah, it was like down on. to um, um, uh, the trade union, uh, the music, musicians' union that uh, wanted to protect the interests yeah. of musicians and um and uh um wouldn't uh and, and place a limit on the amount of uh pre-recorded music that could be broadcast which is why you know the, the concept of the sessions um you know uh, began well I, yeah i mean the idea was that they i don't know if i totally get it but they they would They'd want the musicians to play yeah, the music, exactly. not the records. Right. So you would get these kind of like, you know, studio orchestra versions of songs that were popular. Not so much at that, the but um, the actual bands would come in. No. And they would, they would, um, uh, okay. Exactly like the Peel sessions that happened later. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, like the Beatles must have made 20, um, 20 BBC sessions and, you know, they were, they've all been released, um, you know, the BBC sessions. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was a way to get yeah. your music heard. Um, when, um, but you had to yes, use yes, those musicians. Right. The Beatles were going to yeah. the BBC studios and knock out, you know, three or four songs. So, um, so they could get played. But they, did they, who the played the music were, though? Yeah. When they, when the Beatles, Oh, okay. So they didn't no, have to use no, didn't have to use other musicians. musicians, providing there was live musicians. That's all the that, that was that that was kind of the uh, uh, the, the, the point. Yeah. Oh, the way um, to get around the, it. Yeah, it was the yeah. Of course, um, you know, it, it's it's an actual band playing their own music. So I'm not quite sure why 
they couldn't play the record. But um, of course, what, what happened then is the BBC had to pay the band members, in this case, for example, the Beatles, you know, a um, uh, the union fee for playing um, a live session. So it definitely <laughs> got its members, you know, more uh, money. But, um, you know, the, the people that were coming in to do the sessions were, you know, the bands that were selling records in the first place. So it was just more money in the pockets of the Stones or the Beatles because they, they were... Yeah, yeah they were doing sure, the come in and get yeah. paid. Yeah, because, <laughs> there, there, because there's a limit on well, legal well, time, well. so record playing time, it was also in the band's interest to record these sessions because they could get played as many times as DJ wanted. Um, you know, once they were recorded, they didn't count towards you know the needle time and uh, I, I could get played multiple times. Now, when you say needle time, you mean the, the well, time they get playing yeah, the records. Record needle, yeah. The but stylus, it was, it was gotcha, needle gotcha, time. gotcha. Needle time, interesting, interesting. Now, when Peel uh, got to BBC Radio 1, he was given a show called Top Gear, and he continued with this show until 1975. Um, and, you know, like we were saying, the show was a very eclectic mix. OK, and it was really I guess it was like you said, you know, you would have 15 minutes of great, maybe a half an hour of garbage and, and 15 minutes of great. Yeah, right? well, it's, it's all down. To, it's all subjective, of course. But yes, that's how I that's how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 No, no, I know what you mean. Everybody had their own little opinion on it. Um, now, in 1969, he would receive media attention. Okay, this was a controversial thing that he did. He was hosting a trailer, okay, just a small trailer for a BBC program on venereal disease. Okay, and it was on a program called Night Ride. And in the trailer, Peel admitted live that he contracted a venereal disease earlier that year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so he, he kind of like got in a little trouble for that. But the new Night Ride program was, was, was what he was working on. And it was similar to the previous Perfume Garden. Um, he played an eclectic mix of the, on that show of rock, folk, blues, classicals, even electronic music. Uh, he also did poetry readings. Uh, interviews with a wide range of guests. So one that used to appear quite a bit was Mark Bowen, uh, musician, journalist, Mick Farron. Uh, he also had on the birds, the stones, even John Lennon and Yoko Ono came on one time. Wow. Do you recall any of those um, shows? What Ron? year was this? Oh, this had to be, you know, 70, no, I maybe was, uh, 71. I to music then. <laughs> I'm still playing with my, um, Cowboys okay. and Indians, I think, or soldiers or whatever. Yeah, but there uh, you go. Yeah, I was. You're yeah. working um, your way to it. Because the first I heard about John Peel was when um, uh, I was listening to the Tyrannosaurus Rex albums in probably 1972. They were re-released in the UK mm -hmm. to capitalise on uh, the uh, success of T-Rex. Yeah, and the, the T-Rex. Uh, John Peel yeah. has. Um, uh, read some of Mark's um, um, uh, short stories um, uh, on, on the first two albums, because yeah, they were they were great pals um, yeah. by then. Now, actually, uh, I was I was a little bit off that that show Night Rider uh, Night Ride was was actually from September yeah. '69. Okay, that it only lasted about eighteen months. Now, he would release an album of music that was specifically used for that show, and it was called Archive Things. And on the sleeve of the record, John Peel says that his freeform Night Ride show was his favorite format for radio. Uh, his subsequent shows after that featured a mix of records, live sessions, and that would be his format for the rest of his career. But really, his favorite format that he ever did was what was on the Night Ride, just like a total mix of, of everything that he put together. Um, now, his enthusiasm for music outside the mainstream often brought conflict with the BBC hierarchy. Now, during the heyday of punk rock, which we talked about, uh, the BBC didn't want that music played on the radio. Now, Peel didn't listen, okay? Uh, one example was when he first heard the Ramones record, the first, uh, the first album, the debut album, came out in 76. 
Um, he fell in love with it immediately uh, and wanted to play it on the radio. So when he did, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, you know, the first Ramones record, it's kind of like hard to get out of it because the songs segue from one into the other. And uh, actually, he played like, I think, a whole album side, probably the first side. And uh, immediately the next day, got letters from from people saying, don't yeah, ever play that true. again. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and, the BB, and, and, and the BBC kind of said, yeah, don't play that, you know. <laughs> but his, his attitude was, you know, if they don't want me to play it, I'm going to play, play more of it. That's all, you know. And he did. And he played, you know, he was he championed the Ramones right away, you know. Surprisingly, though, the Ramones never did a peel session. Wow. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, when they came over in 76, they certainly should have, right? I mean, that was the time. But there's, there is no, there's no example. Yeah, I don't know the reasons why. I mean, I don't know if it's just a matter uh, because, you know, they, 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 yeah, their schedule didn't. Might have been logistics. Um, didn't permit it. I think, um, yeah, uh, I think their first. T- I mean, knowing, knowing the Ramones, they probably yeah. wanted to get back home quick. Uh, so. Uh, or they, <laughs> their first tour, I think they were actually, um, certainly in London, it, you know, officially they were opening for the Flaming Groovy. So I think, you know, the audience was there to see the Ramones. But um, yeah, I just don't know uh, how tight their schedule was back in what, June 76 when they came over. Now I know you you were at you were at the famous It's a Live yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, at the Rainbow, right? W- were you I, at were you I, at the not Roundhouse? That, not that show? one, but I was the um no. uh, when they came over next. They, uh, the next time they came over and uh, was in early 77. 70, yeah, and, uh, 77 the following and year, had, yeah, um, a couple months later. Uh they were they were topping the bill at the Roundhouse then and they had Talking Heads opening for them. So I was there, yeah. Right, right. And just as a little interesting side note, because I said how the Ramones probably wanted to get right home. Uh, the Talking Heads were on record one time saying that when they went there with the, with the Ramones, that the first thing the Ramones wanted to do when they got to London was go to <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> that's, that's funny you know what I mean like out of all the places and, to and eat, you know what they might have had a hard time finding one because I don't think there was too many around then probably yeah yeah there probably was only maybe one or two who knows um, now Peel also began in the mid 70s to have live acts play in the studio and record them on a four track he would mix the tracks in one day and create a kind of like demo for the band and this was the Peel sessions now during the 37 years Peel was at BBC Radio 1, he did over 4,000 sessions with over 2,000 artists. Wow. Now, that, that's amazing. And um, if you think about the number right there, that would be like everybody well, came in about I, twice. I think the fall came in about, about two 20 times. times. So they bumped that number up a bit. Yeah. Well, on the average. But yeah, the fall was one of his all-time favorite bands. Uh, they they definitely were on probably I they think were, more yeah. than anybody. They held the record, you know, yeah, yeah. Now many of the classic Peel sessions have been released over the years, uh, mostly on what was called the Strange Fruit record label, which I believe John Peel ran. Uh, bands like the Only Ones, Susie and the Banshees, the Jesus and Mary Chain, all had like at least one or two Peel sessions recorded, I think, if not more. All right. Now, I, I mentioned those bands specifically because I first became aware of John Peel, uh, at least the name, without even really understanding who he was, in the early 80s. Okay, when I would go to record stores like, uh, you know, Sullivan Street Records, Rob, in the, in the West Village. I remember. You know? Yeah, or, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bleaker Bob's or whatever when that was there. And you would look at your favorite bands – Susie and the Banshees, for instance, or Jesus and Mary Chain were, were two of my favorites. Um, you'd see the, this record, Peel Sessions. And it was always kind of like a black and white cover, 
you know, it just was very simple. Said the band's name. The Peel sessions might have a picture, but very simple. And I'd be like, who, what, who's Peel? What is this Peel? You know, I thought maybe it was like a record label or a, just I didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until maybe, you know, a few years later that I came across, uh, you know, something about him. And uh, I said, oh, he's a because you couldn't hear him here. Sure. There was no way to hear his his shows that his shows. Yeah. Here in America, you know, um, I've, I've over the years, I've I've heard a few things. But I can count on probably one hand, like how many shows I've actually heard with him talking. It's a shame that he wasn't syndicated. Yeah, the BBC, um, you know, they, they that wasn't their thinking at all. They they, they do it now. They, they, they don't do that. Started with, um, I think, was it celebrity dancing or whatever that's called? I, uh, I've never seen the show, but but basically, yeah. they didn't syndicate any of their popular shows until, you know, for for, for decades. <laughs> They're really bad. Yeah, you know, he, he would have been amazing yeah. on Satellite. He definitely would have been amazing on Satellite. He probably would have been on XM or something. Could have had his own channel or something. Yeah. But, you know, he, he didn't live long enough to, to see that happen. But, you know, too bad. I mean, maybe someday they'll they'll come out with some kind of, you know, rebroadcast of, of some of his, his shows or, you know, you can get them. Well, I guess the BBC yeah, has all the, the rights, BBC right? The BBC were always renowned for not keeping recordings um but they just didn't do that um they, didn't, really? they never thought about you know uh posterity uh, those famous top of the pop shows throughout the 60s and early 70s all lost yeah they just they're they all just, lost they, right they use the tapes yeah God. that's the bbc for you <laughs> yeah wow that's a, that's a shame um and we just mentioned a second ago about his one of his favorite bands being The Fall. Um, he always said that he, he, The Fall was actually one of the bands that he had the most records of as well, okay, in his collection. Now, Mark E. Smith, the singer of the band The Fall, was, was easily recognized every year because he would do the Festive 50 countdown, okay, sometimes with, uh, with John Peel. Now, his favorite all-time single, and we mentioned this on a prior show, was Teenage Kicks yep. by The Undertones. Yep. I, know, I know The yeah, Undertones think, are one um, of your favorite bands. That's where I heard on, right? the single for the first time in the John Peel show. And uh, I loved it immediately. Yeah. And um, uh, they, were one of, they became one of my all-time favorite bands. And, uh, you know, very possibly because, you know, John Peel uh, broke their debut single and made it a, a hit. Yeah, yeah. Now, he claimed it to be a perfect song where there was nothing you could add to it or take away from it. It was to, to improve it. There was nothing you could do. It was just a perfect song. Uh, one album he listed as uh, his number one album of all time. And, and Rob, you're going to like this. Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica. Yep. Okay, that was his favorite album of all time. Yeah. Um, he called it a work of art. And, and he actually was you know, really big in pushing that to be a big hit in the UK because it wasn't doing anything in America in 69, you know, when that came out. But for some reason, I think Trout Mask Replica went top 10, right? I don't know. Does that sound right, Ron? I don't know about how it it did in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, I think think it did. It went definitely top 20, if not top 10. Let me ask you, when you talk about the 50 thing, that means that he would pick the 50 best songs, or was he doing like a top 50 for him? It was fan favorites. It was it was top 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 ten favorites of the year of the fans. Oh, so he would do it. So he would just so the fans who are like they would just call in or they would send letters and say, I like this. Yeah, yeah. I guess they they would vote somehow, I guess with letters or call-ins. Um, and he would just do the countdown and, and the fall, uh, the, the band, the fall, the lead singer, Marky Smith would, would, would do a lot of, a lot of those, uh, those shows with him. You know, I don't know if he did it all in one day. I got yeah, no I, idea. Is that how he did it, Ron? Did he do going 50 back decades or it was now, over like a week like or something? something or? You know, he would may do, um, in a Christmas week. Yeah. Over a week or something. Yeah. Something like that. Now, um, he was very um, one of his, uh, you know, I mentioned Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica, but another one of his favorite albums was the first Velvet Underground album, the first Ramones album. 
another band he liked was Pulp, uh, Nirvana. He was big on Neil Young. He was big on Pink Floyd, especially the Sid Barrett era, um, and the Stones. He was a big Stones fan. Uh, his what he used to do is he would buy a lot of singles in his own collection, and he would keep them in a wooden box. And in 2005, after his death, the uh, contents of that box was actually revealed publicly on a TV documentary called John Peel's Record Box. And on it, inside it, there was 130 vinyl singles and all different artists. But the most by one band was 11 singles and they were all by the White Stripes. He had that more than any other band. I think Yeah, he loved the White Stripes that much. I think much, it may yeah. be even more than yeah. 11. I don't remember the number, but I do remember, I think, Jack White making a, um, a, a comment that John Peel had more White Stripes singles than he did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they had 11 singles, to be honest with you. <laughs> You know, it's funny because, I mean, bands even go even into the 2000s and 90s, they did re release right. singles, but you couldn't even get them anymore by that point. You know, you have to be special order or whatever. Now, another point um, of interest that a lot of people don't know is that when he was living in America, right, in the, he managed that band, The Misunderstood, and, and he basically convinced them to move to, to London for a while. So he was, you know, kind of like half-assed managing this band for a while. And they ended up actually going to London. Uh, and he always championed their music. Check out The Misunderstood. They're a very cool, you know, 60s garage band, basically the best example. Um, a stand, one of the favorite, my favorite singles from them is a song called did Children he, um, of the Sun. So I was going to say, did, um, um, did John Peel invite the band ahead, to sorry. stay with a, a family member? Um, he brought them over to the UK, I think. And, and, I, and so you can stay with my sister. I believe sister. so. I, think I believe so. Sister. He forgot to tell his sister, and the mm -hmm. band just turned up at her house one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I forgot to mention that. That is true. They, he he kind of like invited them and said, Yeah, you can stay with my sister, but never told his sister. <laughs> 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 oh, a bunch of long haired guys from California show up at your house, you know. <laughs> Now, sadly, October 25th, 2004, John Peel died suddenly of a heart attack. Uh, he was on a working vacation in Peru when it, when it happened. Um, immediately, tributes and accolades started pouring in immediately. Um, the funeral was held November 12th, and eulogies were done by his brother, Alan Ravenscroft, and DJ yep. Paul Gambuccini, right? You familiar? Yeah. Okay. Um, the service ended with clips of Peel talking on a big screen uh, about his life. Uh, the coffin was carried out and you could hear the song Teenage Kicks by the undertones being played as it was carried wow. out. Um, the lyric, uh, uh, one of the lines from, from, uh, from Teenage Kicks is actually etched on his tombstone. It's the line, teenage dreams so hard to beat. Wow. And I've seen a picture of it on the internet. It's right there. Uh, he also also etched on the tombstone is the, the Liverbird logo for, for, for Liverpool uh, Football Club. So, there was uh, um, one thing I Yeah, that's all I got today. Mike, um, talking about, you know, the, the bands mm -hmm. that John Peel broke and, uh, you know, how he loved the first Ramones album. But, yeah, he was the first. Uh, British DJ, G, right. DJ to play punk rock and I you know I don't remember many radio shows by any DJ but I do remember uh, a radio show that John Peel had in December 1976 because it was the, the first time um, a show uh, was totally devoted to punk and all he played on it was punk that, and there wasn't much available which is why I think you know, it, it stands out in my memory, but um, but I do know that he had the Damned mm -hmm. in the studio doing a session, um, and they did. Um, I'm sure they did. Wow. In, uh, New Rose, uh, maybe neat, neat, neat. Um, in that session, 
they played um, uh, yeah. Anarchy in the UK. Um, and that was about it in terms of, of uh, UK punk. Um, he played he played some Medi in the Hot Rods because there wasn't much else. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I remember, I think he played like Tom Verlaine and there was a couple, yeah, there's a couple of um, the te- television compilation yeah. albums that had been released, which uh, he played. One was live at CG CBGBs, and and one was a Maxis was a Maxis Kansas City mm-hmm. live album. Um, he played some Iggy, but that was ki- that was kind of the extent P- of of um, yeah. of punk releases at, at the time. But you know, I think I was so desperate to listen to anything that I remember. Not only do I do I remember you know uh, um, listening to the show, but I can remember you know the songs he played, um, you know because it was everything was almost you know brand new aside from uh, the, the damn single and uh, Anarchy. You know I'd never heard anything any of the any of the New York bands up to mm-hmm. then. I know he played the Dolls as well. And actually, I actually really had already had the Dolls albums. Yeah, and I didn't really I, kind yeah. of connect them with you know you know the the, the punk com- seen coming out of New York and London but uh, yeah I mean that show uh, just sticks with me Did he play the Heartbreakers um, when they came out with LAMF? Yeah I have a feeling that uh, he may have played um, Probably, uh, right? uh, Heartbreakers on that show as well Yeah Yeah, yeah interesting um, You know too what I was wondering too is, is like how did he get these records alright because how, how did well, you get I, punk records in the seventies in England? Uh, was well, it just at the record uh, store? Know, they um, wouldn't even Richard carry. Branson's Virgin stores were kind of like, um, um, you know, they were they were mega stores. They were way beyond, um, um, you know, your mom and pop record store. They were they were, you know, the size of you know right. Tower when Tower exploded. You know, they were on several floors, so they would. Um, uh, they mm-hmm. would have every UK release, and you know things like, um, um, you know, the first Ramones album, you know, got an early UK release on on Sire, so so that was available. Um, uh, um, yeah, you know, there's always imports as well. Um, you know, so I'm sure they had a, stuff like Virgin HMV had a you know a, a viable import business. Um, um, so. Right, right. I mean, but since but since he was really the only guy playing this stuff, were the were the these small well, labels just sending stuff to him? I, you think? I, I wouldn't know. Or did he, he have to actively chance, search you know, it out? CBGBs might have got a UK release. Um, uh, it didn't, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it did. I don't think no, no. And that actually yeah, could that be. came out, I think, in '75. It might have been '75, '76, the absolute latest. Uh, because the for instance, on that yeah. album you have um, the Tough Darts, okay, the song "All for the Love of Rock and Roll" right. with Robert Gordon singing, and I he left the Tough Darts in like Uber, late '75. Uh, and I assume that was from CBGBs. It could have been from the uh, Max's Kansas City, but I think it's um, from CBGBs. But yeah, uh, mm. yeah. Me, me, and Rob saw him like two summers ago. Yeah. We yeah, also good. saw the dam. Still good. Remember Madison Square Garden? Yep. Yeah, we saw the dam at the garden open for the Misfits last year. Yeah, twenty nineteen. Wow, wow. Yeah, so um, I mean, Ron, like you know, was, was this something you listened to pretty much? No, he, 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 he was on every night, did, or was it every other he did night? It Monday to Thursday it? or Monday to Friday. Um, and uh, when I was listening, the most of the time it was ten p.m. to midnight. Yeah, no commercials. Uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, good. That's music the great and, thing about the BBC: no commercials. No, um, it wasn't really. Wow. A show for Did you ever call in? You, you, you mentioned the Festus Fifty. I'm sure that was compiled. If if it was if it was from the audience, and I don't actually recall if it was just uh, John Peel's favorite fifty or the audiences, but I'm sure it was done by postcard. Yeah, yeah, you had to mail it in. There was no, yeah, there was, yeah, there was no mail it in. Interaction yeah. with the <laughs> the public, with the BBC in those days. Wow, wow. 
Okay, so Rob, uh, where can we find you so everybody can, you know, curse you out on oh, the sure. internet? You can, find, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and anything lumped up. And uh, you can actually email me. Uh, uh, you can send me an email at uh, Rod Rossi, um, getting lumped up dot com. There you go. If you're looking for me to curse me out, I'm on on, on Instagram, Rocker Mike two one two. I'm also on Clout Hub under Rocker Mike. I'm on Parlor under Rocker Mike. You can find me on Facebook. That's where you usually see me, Ron, um, under Michael Baker, my real name. And also the Rock Show podcast group page has a, uh, you know, on Facebook, we got a group page just for this podcast. And every day I, I, I post a song of the day, a song of the night, interesting stuff during the day. And people participate. They put up things they like. We get into good conversations. It's getting to be a lot of fun. We're getting a lot of people signing up for that page. So uh, check it out. Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook. And, Ron, thank you for being a guest again. It's always great to get your insight on a lot of different things. Cause, um, you know, a lot of stuff from, um, Thanks, guys. from that we don't know, you know? Sure. Yeah. And give my love to the okay, wife great. and Thanks, kids. Guys. And we'll talk soon, Ron, okay? Okay, everybody, take care. Remember, don't get, get lumped drunk. up. See you next week. Podcast you will hear that will be music to your ear. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.